Hey everyone, it's John Kerwin here and I'm really excited as this is my podcast called Open Minded. This podcast is interviewing inspirational people from all walks of life. You know, I want to give you the real stuff that's happening every day in the minds of these leaders, how they stay well in high pressure roles, how they build resilience in themselves, how they look after their people and how can you invest in yourself and your people to do mental well-being well. So this is JK and this is Open Minded. So let's go. Well, I think I'll uh, kick off incredibly excited about today. This has come about uh, because the other day I had a, uh, we did another webcam, um, a, an interview like this, and I was pretty open and honest about how I was feeling. I was pretty anxious, wasn't quite ready for, uh, for the lockdown. I'm way better now. I've put, uh, put my, my plans in place. But the other thing that... Um, has been sort of bandied around is, is actually there's a lot more stress and anxiety out there. And also, how do we lead in this time? I don't like to think about um, following. So I felt like I was following COVID. And one of the things I always talk about is how do you lead during this time? So I think it's a really, really important session. It's about learning. It's about sharing. Um, and we're going to have some questions at the end. Also, uh, Steve Yurkovic, a good mate of mine from Kiwi Bank, uh, was going to be on with us, but he's had to send his apologies. So um, I've got an amazing stellar lineup for you. So I'll start by introducing him and then, then we'll get into it. So um, Dave Wilson, who is global sales leader for Cisco. Um, I'll just read a few things. As someone who was constantly searching for next greatest thing and asked, how do we come up with new ideas before we actually need them? Dave was tapped to lead Cisco's LOT Global Sales Organization in 2019. Prior to this role, Dave was Cisco's country director in New Zealand, and that's where we sort of first met. And he transformed the culture of a team, built significant growth, and guided customer and partner relationships. Not only is he recognized as a visionary and an influencer in the global information and communications technology industry, but he's really passionate advocate for diversity, inclusion, uh, equality in the workplace. And um, Dave and I also talk a lot about, you know, the future of um, mental health and well-being and what that looks like. Uh, Dr. Hilary Bennett, Director of Leading Safety. Hi, Hilary, welcome. Hilary is a registered psychologist with 30 years experience in assisting organizations deliver innovative, customized solutions to organizational health and safety challenges. A key focus of her work in the latest 10 years has been the development and facilitation of health and safety related learning and development programs to all levels and organizations in New Zealand and Australia. And I think the interesting thing, and Hilary often talk about this, and we might get into that later is, and I know this, this, this is a saying, you know, a saying of stolen off people, but you, um, you know, it's no use fixing the fish if the water's toxic. And, and I think Hilary does great work in talking about how you can implement a really safe workplace from into health point of view. So Hal Chowdhury, uh, Chief International Business Officer, Chief Data and Technology Officer, New Year's Post. Uh, we caught up, Sahal and I caught up a little while ago. Um, he's been at New Zealand Post since 2007 and during that time has been instrumental in helping transform the business through the introduction of digital communication solutions 
and development, the business lines of supply chain and e-commerce to take advantage of the growing B2C market. Um, last but not least, Hamish, last but not least, mate, um, Hamish is the CEO and director and founder of NOW, a nationwide full-service fixed-line telecommunications provider headquartered in the Hawke's Bay. NOW employs over 70 staff and has built an inviolable reputation, valuable reputation for its service, recognised as New Zealand's favourite broadband provider in 2020 and 2021 by Cancer Blue New Zealand. Furthermore, NOW has taken out two ANs broadcast Broadband, excuse me, compare New Zealand's best customer support award for the last three years running. So welcome team. Firstly, just thank you very much for your time. Um, I know everyone's busy. We're all online. I think we get a little bit busier, but I'll throw um, my first question to you, Dave. Dave, you've actually been in lockdown for, for 17 months now. Um, you also you also have been quoted as saying, I want to make working from home the best possible place to be. So welcome, mate. And just take us through a little bit of, of your last 17 months. You're, you're an old hand at the stuff. Yeah, it seems to be JK. And thanks for the invite and um, everybody else for uh, joining here. Yeah, like, like you say, uh, yeah, I've been through multiple lockdowns now, both in California and New Zealand. I am coming to you from New Zealand right now. I moved back uh, in February. Um, but the first big shelter in place uh, around the world last March, 17 months ago, was actually in California. Um, so we had, a, we had a long, extensive, California was one of the most strict states in the U.S., um, and we as a company in a division that I lead, we, we haven't gone back to the offices since. So we've been, we've finished our FY20 um, uh, year. We've just completed our whole FY21 financial year. And we've just kicked off uh, our FY22 year. So if you'd asked me back then, could we have ever achieved that? No way. Um, so, you know, you'll hear us and our company say now, uh, work is what you do not where you work from because um, we've had to adapt everything around um, how we cope and handle and move forward and progress ourselves as a business and individuals and, and look after ourselves, which is what we're talking about here today, both from ourselves as leaders and how do we make sure our teams where we used to be able to see, see them uh, physically, we, we, we haven't for 17 months now, except for this sort of format. So how do we adapt? How do we look after people and know that they're okay or they're not okay? I think, Dave, just to jump in um, very quickly, one of the things that leaders often ask me is, and other leaders have made a mistake, I think it was, the, uh, I don't want to quote the person wrong, so I won't mention the company, one person said, we're all coming back, and everyone rebelled. How have you faced that issue of some people wanting to come back and others not? Yeah. Uh, well, we as a company have just made a decision that the individual uh, can choose, and there's 75,000 of us, so... Um, <laughs> So just a few, yeah, just a few. Um, and that was a big call for us. But um, we've decided that, um, like I said, 17 months now, we've actually had uh, the best productivity and results that our company has ever seen during that 17 months. So not only have we managed to be able to continue to work and function like this, we've overachieved any results that we had done in a normal situation. So I guess that the, the real short answer is we've given the choice back to the people to decide where they work, how they work. And again, really putting emphasis on uh, your work and your productivity and what you do isn't based on the office you come into. 
versus how do you turn up what your productivity is, especially around also the timings you want to work, which we could get into, you know, around if you're a, if you're a caregiver or you're doing school from home, you, you may have to adjust how you work and what times you work to, and that doesn't take away from your productivity. So how, mate, you have a huge nationwide business. Um, the thing that really intrigues me, and I think there's two parts to this question, but how, how what things can you do for our frontline people? I mean, my, my thoughts go out to the most day and you're dealing in that business. And secondly, I know that you work right across a global industry and how does mental health um, break culturally? How do you, how do you deal with cultural mental health? Um, thanks, Jackie. Um, the nationwide looking after our frontline is really um, important for us. We, we have variety of um, techniques, processes uh, and support available. Uh, when it comes to lockdown, Actually, it is really role modeling. We all as leaders are going, helping there, uh, working through the shifts and ensuring that the staffs are well looked after. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, uh, which actually the frontline workers have no option but to turn up for us to be able to get the uh, essential services every day. So the whole New Zealand uh, can continue to uh, get their services. So. Um, just ensuring really that uh, everyone is uh, putting up with all the right things for them. There is a safety, the well-being, the ensuring that actually uh, when there is a downtime, if, they, if somebody needs exactly what they've said, that if there is a family issue, people have the time and the ability to be able to address it. New Zealand Post follows really flexible uh, approach to uh, also uh, the working and that also helps. In terms of cultural, uh, look, I look after uh, teams in Singapore, Australia, and here in New Zealand, and Singapore has been in some kind of lockdown for 18 months. Australia has been going through since June. It is very tough. Um, and, and ensuring we should continue to uh, stay connected, keep them motivated. It's uh, lots of things we do we end up doing uh, online uh, virtual drinks, exercise, um, and we, we ensure that uh, people are connected through various mechanisms. For example, I'm going to lead a cooking class for them and they're all gonna join me. Uh, oh, I'd like to come to that. And we're going, we are going to do a virtual cooking class. So um, there is no, there, as you say, there is no recipe book. It's tough for everyone. I just landed in Auckland um, the day lockdown started and had to come back straight after uh, because we, the lockdown happened and I, I'm based in Wellington. So uh, it's, it's effectively being authentic and just feeling as uh, literally going, being human makes all, lots of challenges uh, uh, overcome. Dr. Hillary, you've, you've studied this, this area. What, what do you think are some of the most important things that we can do as leaders right now in this mm. world we live in? I, I would just like to pull on what, you, you know, um, what's already been said. I think the point, Dave, you were making around um, giving people some um, 
this, the ability to be involved in a decision is how they do their daily work and having that flexibility around that. And then, you know, um, so how the, the, the thinking that you're giving around, um, you know, the helping people stay connected. I mean, we know that um, one of the key things from being in, in lockdown is the this, is this social isolation, uh, the sense of anxiety and people unsure about what, what is happening. So things that you can do or in an organization to, to um, help people feel a little bit more in control of something that seems really out of control, to be connected when they're actually are being um, removed from any of their social networks. Those things are really key. And I think the other point you guys made that I think is really key is that it's, it's in your own, your role modeling of, you know, you know as leaders, um, invariably when you ask a leader, someone what is leadership, they'll say it's someone who walks the talk. So when it's someone who walks the talk about looking after themselves, but also then showing that genuine care for other people. And, and there are just so many ways that, that we can do that. But undoubtedly, one of the key things with us going into lockdown again now is that for many people, maybe not so much in Auckland because they had a second lockdown, but for many people, there will be the sense that we had got through this and the realization all of a sudden that actually we haven't got through this and that actually it is um, uh, something that we don't really quite understand yet and where it's going to go has really surfaced a lot of underlying anxiety that's been sitting in New Zealand society for the last while. Um, so I think there's a risk that the impact, the psychological impact over the next while will be quite significant. And what do we, what do, we do about that, Hilary? What, what do you suggest that we do as business leaders. I know, you know, we often talk about to me about this, about the, you know, the daily mental health plan or the six pillars. And I know that I was really, really anxious this time. I wasn't ready for it. I thought I was going to be okay. I actually wasn't. I'm very lucky because I, I, because I've been to Helen back. I had the tools and got myself sorted out. But how how do we lead that as as yeah. leaders down yeah. into your business? Yeah, uh, JK, I, I mean, personally, I um, like uh, to align um, a lot of the work I do to the Mental Health Foundation's Five Ways to Wellbeing because it's very evidence-based. And so that when you're in lockdown, whether it, whether, you know, whether it be something that you do for yourself or what the organization provides, but, you know, knowing that you've got to get out there and get a little bit of physical activity, um, you know, knowing that that connection piece, so, you know, the Zoom drinks, the Zoom cooking cross, those sorts of things, you know, it's an, it's an opportunity sometimes where people can to learn something a bit new. So an organization might, you know, be able to provide people with opportunities to, to, to do some retraining or some upskilling or just gain any new knowledge, really. It doesn't have to be job-related. Uh, you know, the ability to, to be able to give to each other, so give in terms of our time and, you know, a, a, a care call, a, a call that helps us connect with people. So I hope that a lot of things that we can do that we know will significantly impact on people's mental health, um, whether they be things that the organisation can do or whether we as individuals can take some responsibility and um, look after our own health in this space, you know. So uh, it's, 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 it's about, um, I think your point early on saying, uh, don't let COVID lead us, but let us lead, <laughs> you know, let us make some, take some control back over what we can control is really key. Hamish, you're um, in the provinces a wee bit. You're down in the beautiful bay. A um, little bit of a little bit of a smaller business. Seventy odd people. Seventy still a lot of people, man. Because I say that uh, once you get over five people, it's hard to 
you know, hard to organize and hard to connect. So what are some of the things you've been doing during this time to lead? Yeah, um, look, I think, you know, we're a nine-year-old business and uh, it'd be fair to say, certainly when we went into lockdown, you know, 14, 15 months ago, um, I was acutely aware of our lack of uh, operational maturity. So it actually, it really concerned me because, um, the, the oil that makes this machine work is, is our culture and the goodwill that exists. And I think, you know, we talk about the, the, the water cooler and the urinal interactions and things like that. And I was really concerned about losing that. We, um, to be quite honest, we're a better business for having gone through COVID um, in terms of fast tracking, perhaps some of our internal sort of operations and maturity. But what have we done? Like, you know, I think one of the, We've done quite a few things, um, and I wouldn't say all of them have been successful, but you know, half of our organisation um, are people that are rostered on in the call centre um, seven days a week. Um, so putting those people out into a home environment um, where um, they're also having to look after children and, and the demands of home life. Um, I know a lot of them were suffering um, with, uh, I guess, a degree of guilt in terms of the trying to manage the the, the conflicting demands of, of kids and, and work. And, you know, the first thing I did when we went into this latest lockdown, um, I communicate to the company daily, uh, was I just gave them permission um, to, to let things go um, and try and, I guess, allay them of that guilt. Um, you know, I think, you know, we, we sort of, um, we've had some governing rules um, that go right back to our probably our, our company values. Uh, that's about you and your family come first, and it's not just something we say. Um, we uh, our customers come second, and then new growth opportunities come third. It's always been our values. Now, for a high growth company, saying no and turning off the growth engine is quite a hard thing. So we just and we just keep on driving home. Look after yourselves. Look after your family, and then our customers. We look after our customers, they'll pay our wages. Um, and it's giving them, I guess, those navigational and anchor points kind of seems to be helpful. Yeah, I mean, I've got, a, I've got an interesting, but maybe I'll throw it to you, Dave, because, and I'm sure, Hamish, you might want to jump in straight afterwards, but um, productivity, we used to measure with our four eyes, right? So people walk into the office in the morning, they sit at their office and we feel pretty confident as business people, we go home at five o'clock that night or whenever it is that we've done a decent day's work. So can you can you explain then, maybe you can jump on the back of that. How do you actually now measure that, um, that productivity specifically? And if you owned a medium to, to big size business, what, what would you say to those that are a little bit scared about not having that in front of their eyes to control it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point and I know one that people are often fearful of. Um, I think obviously the normal everyday metrics of running a business become even more critical to manage in a, in a more frequent um, measuring period. Um, so be that your productivity, your expenses, the booking, your revenue product, all those other uh, normal metrics. Um, what we've what we've learned though is it's the new set of metrics that are really the ones we need to track. Because as I said, as we went through this uh, environment of being at home for 17 months, 
at first we we kind of delayed some of this of what you're talking about because we're like we're going to be out of this in a quarter we're going to be out of this in a quarter we'll be out of this in a quarter it's like oh we're not getting out of this so we need to reset what we're doing at the same time uh we didn't need to worry about those productivity metrics because our business was just going through the roof kind of like hamish was saying by looking after people and doing things a different way one quarter after the other our results weren't dropping they just continued to grow and grow and people were like let's just hold off this can't be sustainable. It's going to collapse sometime. It's, it's going to collapse, but it didn't. For 17 months, it hasn't, right? So now what we're doing is working on other new forms of metrics on, you know, the health and well-being of our people uh, they looked after, you know, because, um, and like I like to say, we're going to turn the invisible into the visible with these metrics. Like you can't fix or manage or leave what you can't see. And let's just say what's happening to us all right now is, is invisible. Like it kind of feels invisible. And, you know, you can say this isn't affecting me. This is affecting everybody as our collective. And so what we need to do now is go, how do we take this invisible impact and make it visible so we can manage it, so we can lead it. So we're putting a lot of metrics out there around that, a lot of surveys out around how you feel. Do you feel, feel fearful? Do you feel like you can take risks? Just picking up on some of the key metrics that come around with coping um, with suffering, I guess. And then the next minute is uh, the next step is that we've started to work on is how do you go past coping to kind of like one of the podcasts you've done, JK, with um, Jazz on then how do you go past coping uh, into uh, thriving? And so starting to measure some of those metrics. Sounds like you're using a lot more emotional words in the business space rather than rather than some of the more budgets and all that sort of stuff, you know, how you're feeling around fear. I mean, Hamish, you spoke before um, just about family comes first. So you got a, you got a massive meeting coming up um, and I've got to drop the kids off. So, I mean, how, how does that work, brother? Yeah, um, yeah look, it's... Um... Yeah, look, there's, there's always going to be demands of work, JK, but look, we're, um, we're probably no different from a lot of businesses these days. Um, we, we've never been clock watchers um, and very much like imagine like Dave's business, uh, it is about the output and, and, and I guess watching those value drivers. But what's been really interesting in our business over the last 15 months is it feels to me that COVID was sort of Possibly the, I guess, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, like we're in some really interesting times for our young people, um, uncertain times, uh, and we kind of, I guess, started to comprehend um, about a year ago that people's, um, I guess, well-being was inextricably linked to how they're going to be performing at work. And look, we're finding our way. Um, I. Um, I suffered from a degree of burnout about five or six years ago and was suffering um, moderate to se uh, severe anxiety. And it was only through that journey that I've actually brought a lot of the tools that I, to, uh, I guess, learned about into the workplace anyway. But I guess I've perhaps um, made myself as a leader a little bit more vulnerable in the last sort of 12 to 15 months as I've started to see an increase in, I guess, incidents of people just not coping um, so a little bit like Dave we're um, we are monitoring as a leadership team and as a board a, a number of I guess the touch what you call touchy-feely aspects of our business um, and you know 
every week we're just constantly talking about our people, their well-being. Um, at the end of the day, we're not going to have an engaged, high-performing team unless things are right on the home front. Well, I, one of the things that always um, always surprises me, if I talk to you about Agile, right, if I talk to a boss about Agile, um, you know, we're putting Agile through the business and and I, then I go and talk to the people in the business, they go, oh, that's a, that, that could be an excuse just to get rid of some of us. You know, there's constant change all the time. I'm not dealing with it. You know, how, as a leader of many people, do you actually authentically deal with change because COVID is change. We, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And what I noticed, especially pre-COVID, was there was this acceleration of, someone once said to me, well, change is the new norm. But mentally, the human being doesn't deal with that shit very well. So how do you manage constant change? Um, yeah, change is the only constant and especially in the industry we are in, um, one day you wake up and you are dealing with the uh, anxiety of full lockdown, nothing flowing through your network to a next day that people are sitting at home, they can't do anything. And then there is an influx of e-commerce volume flows through. Um, I think the change is very much related to uh, the culture of the organization and culture of leadership. As you mentioned, if, if the organizations who deal with numbers and uh, uh, quantities, they can't cope change uh, very well. It's about the authentic leadership. I mean, New Zealand Post values are bring real, bring real yourself to the business every day, stay connected and deliver the best. What does that give you is the authority and empowerment for people to be able to, um, to flexibly adopt to the things happening around you. I just, I just give you an example, last uh, COVID lockdown, um, we, we needed to create, or I needed to create a purpose for my team to see how every one of us is uh, dealing with this change, this constant change. Uh, we just looked at the two kinds of people, one who were overworked and there was a lot going on. And the other part, other group was where there was not much work because they were affected due to various uh, processes, uh, business processes. We just gave them the authority, uh, effectively empower them and say, team, let's uh, form a, a, a cross-functional group where they can actually come up with the business idea or any idea they think, whether it's a business or non-business related idea, which will actually uh, help them stay connected and, uh, uh, and find a way to uh, deliver the value and feel that how they are adding value to the business. As a result of that, long story short, what we achieved was actually a cross-functional team, the teams, the people who never have worked together they actually worked together, they were more happier, they felt the meaning of their work was uh, understood by the business and the, by the leaders. And uh, uh, we, we achieved the outcome which we always wanted to achieve but never had the time to achieve. So uh, other thing I can just tell you is the, how the change, uh, this change of uh, lockdown in Australia business, we have grew that business three times. 
and I have not been there last 18 months. It's just the empowerment. Uh, is this a whole philosophy of them actually work like they own the company. Uh, and they, you, can, you can just be there to guide them. They are running the show, as they've said, uh, Cisco results are getting better and better. Uh, it's it's this, this leaders who are able to juggle multiple balls and uncertainty. And you, the, as a leader, our role is to actually uh, foster that ability for people to be able to do that. Be there, be there to be able to guide them, be there to actually learn from them. It's in a leadership role, sometimes it's very difficult. People expect you to tell them. Actually, every day you wake up, you actually learn from anybody who you interact. And when you, when you come with that mindset of uh, learning and come with the mindset of helping and uh, be there as a team member, things get easier and change becomes very easy to manage. So that, the, the, the interesting thing for me when I was learning about my mental health um, was understanding the science behind it. And, and, and if I'm sitting there and I'm working for any of the organizations that, that you were talking about today or wherever I am in this world, um, what are some of the emotional fears that I would need to be aware of around change? You know, um, and if because I think if I'm aware of that, then I can deal with it. If someone once told me that change is amazing because 25 will follow you, 25 will sit on the fence, 25 will think you're an asshole, and the other 25 will wait to see who if the majority wins. Now I don't know if that's true, but I thought it was a, I thought it was an interesting um, analogy of it. But also, as a worker, this constant change. What am I? Be, what should I be aware of of the feeling, and what can I do about it? I think it depends how, how the word change is uh, um, presented in the organization. Because if it, if it is a constant change, which actually creates um, security uh, issues for people, then of course you're gonna have a people who are who possibly uh, not going to um, react uh, that uh, well. The change is not about only the job security or change. Change is about actually doing things better. Change is about ensuring that you come to workplace and you're feeling happy. Change is about that you actually have that freedom that you know that you can look after your family and you can leave the work anytime when you are required and attend to the, uh, uh, anything outside work you need to do. So. Uh, that empowerment, that uh, um, that power, when 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 staff or when the team members start feeling that way, then the change implementing change becomes very easy. Change change becomes a part of your thinking process, because as you said about agile or agility, that that's a mindset. When you think take things from a mindset perspective, and the and you know that when everyone is helping you get to the other side then actually people lead change. Uh, it's not that you, you are leading a change, it's actually that everyone becomes the part of that circle where the change is happening and, they, and accepting that you are in that mode of learning and adopting and doing things differently, uh, the fear goes away. And when the fear goes away, uh, the, the biggest thing for me as a leader is to provide security, provide empowerment, and ensuring that everyone has the same say. 
and they can challenge you. They can bring the new idea, they can test it, and they have that freedom to be able to uh, try and test and adopt. So. And, and Hilary, if you are a worker and you're feeling that change and, and maybe not sitting so well with you. Well, I, I just wanted to say, I don't know that it's changed so much as the uncertainty because um, change is not initially a, a bad thing. I mean, if someone said to you, look, you've just learned Lotta for X million, um, that's a major change in your life. You're not going to say, well, hang on, I don't like change. I'm going to give you that money back. So change... <laughs> Change per se is not the issue. It's actually how we frame change up. And, you know, that's that mindset pieces. So I think one of the things we need to be doing with frontline workers in terms of our organization is, is them helping them to um, articulate some of the fears they have around the uncertainty and also therefore to help them understand some of the, or have at least not understand, that, that sounds patronizing, but what I'm meaning is give them opportunity to to reflect on some of the good things that have occurred as a result of some of these changes so that we don't only look at the, um, the bad things. So, you know, I don't think it's change because it's, it's what we're losing. It's the uncertainty, I think, that's the key issue. And, and how do we give frontline workers a little bit more sense of secure, certainty of how we're gonna support them, um, you know, to meet their basic needs on a day-to-day -day basis? Dave, I think the word articulates a real good one because um, some things I notice and just the point, everyone, if you're listening, throw your questions in, I'll get to them um, for the last 15 minutes. There's a couple already there, so go for it. So I think that sometimes when you and I are talking, um, you talk in a business uh, language that's a little bit foreign. So you're talking emotionally often. I mean, was that something that you had to force yourself to do? Was it a different way of working? So how do you actually articulate, you know, what Sahal and Hillary actually said? Because you've got to start talking emotionally about fear to, to, to stop people worrying about change. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, JK, it was two things. A little bit like um, Hamish, I, I had a bit of a, a wobbly, you know, time six years ago where uh, the constant pressure and stress of work was definitely impacting me. So I had to also learn then to how to put oxygen mask on self first and what are some of the tools I need to implement and language I needed to use for myself before others. And I think that's critical for leaders because it's, it's hard for when we tell you, lead into these times and look after people and you haven't been taught how to look after yourself because I clearly wasn't. Uh, I didn't even know the signs of it. The next thing is in around agile and some of the other terminologies, you know, what has come out in business is we are trying to be agile. We're actually trying to, um, as Hillary put it, we're trying to operate in times of uncertainty and in times of uncertainty, there's a, a high, uh, high um, unknowns and uh, ambiguity, levels of ambiguity. And so um, that's tough to operate in that space. Um, and yet we kind of go off and then say, hey, we're gonna all now as a company operate with a growth mindset. And we expect to see non-linear results from that and um, good, let's go. You know, What we don't have training on is how do you enter into times of uncertainty and unknown and ambiguity and act in that without freezing, without you know, um, just not even knowing where to go to and how to talk to your people or how to look after yourself. And a lot of that is just down to you know, um, how do you evolve 
into this space and start acting without knowing everything because in this period you, you can't have all the information and in, that we used to have so you have to act with less information than you used to you have to be more innovative and creative than you ever had to be so yeah we've had to learn it and where all of that fails comes down to the mind everything like we train everybody on how to sell on customer care um everything to do with our values but when was the last time you were trained on your mental fitness and understanding what fear means to you um you know what fear means to one person or risk means to one person is very different to the other person in their relationship with risk and fear so we've had to learn that we can train people all day long on innovation creativity being agile operating in states of uncertainty but if we don't then go and help empower you to understand your own mindset and are you consciously aware of your mindset and your thoughts? And all of that is going to fail, all of it, because, you know, we're not giving you a chance to even succeed. Um, JK, I'd probably add to that. And that is, and there's, I think, some really good points brought up here around change. And I think context is really, really important. Um, just uh, and people understanding the why and the what. And I think picking up on Dave's point, we're operating in a world increasingly where we actually don't know the how. Um, and, it's, uh, that's really hard. I think the biggest thing that I have noticed that I try to, um, have tried to install with my own leadership team is our periodic one-on-one -on -one catch ups these days are pretty much two thirds about the person. Um, so, you know, in terms of trying to understand how they're feeling about things and just trying to connect at a deeper level with the person. Um, <laughs> It's, um, it, it's been a really marked change in our business. Uh, and we've been talking oh, for sort of six, nine months around how, how do we have those conversations? Because we were never taught as leaders how to perhaps be a little bit more vulnerable um, and how do we connect at that deeper level with people? Uh, because it takes a little bit um, to get people to open up and it doesn't happen in one month. Um, uh, yeah, Hamish, how did how did you start that, mate? How did you because at this this point here, I I meet hundreds of leaders and they are scared to have that first conversation. So, how did you actually start? And was it yeah. awkward? What are you expecting to feel if you're a boss that's going to step into this space? Um, so, well, first of all, uh, required me to be, um, I guess, really authentic and vulnerable. And um, I can still recall I sat there with my leadership team of five um, and explained to them that um, we're in a pretty demanding workplace um, and they work um, heinous hours. And I said to them, look, I think we need to work on, you know, resiliency um, amongst ourselves. Um, and I said to them, I couldn't live with myself if what you guys are doing for me and this business over the next five years was to come at the cost of their health or their, their marriages or, or friendships and things like that. Um, so I gave them that context. And I said, so that's the conversation I wanna have. Um, and I don't feel particularly qualified to even have it, but I'm gonna start sharing a little bit more. We might get in a little bit of help. We have had a, um, a clinical psychologist come in um, and spend time with the leadership team. Um, it's kind of a journey that's to be quite honest, JK, it's not scripted, but the biggest thing is that um, they've given me permission, they've bought into what I'm trying to achieve. Um, Can you remember what you were scared of? Um, 
Yeah, uh, I think once upon a time, I felt I used to have, have to have the answers was, was a really interesting sort of chapter in my corporate career. And I think, you know, maybe five or six years ago, I realized actually it's not my job to have the answers. Um, and it's actually okay not to have the answers. Um, that was kind of addressing a, a point of vulnerability for me. But I guess the, the point in terms of what I was scared of was um, I just wasn't sure how they would receive me perhaps showing that weakness. Um, that, you know, I was the guy that sort of is sort of, you know, um, rainbows and unicorns and in the, in the tough times, I sort of jolly people out of it. And, um, um, but I think to show that there is a weakness um, was probably what I was scared about. And to be quite honest, when I spoke to them about it, um, it was um, it was it was liberating. Yeah, it changed. It's changed all our conversations to the point where we now have conversations which are very much around. So, how are you? How's your family? It's just very much. How are you feeling about this? Um, what are your concerns? Um, it's quite a different conversation. I've spent the thick end of 20 years being all around, you know, um, the lead indicators and metrics and things like that. Um, I, I'm spending less and less time on that these days. So, Hal, have you had, had, sorry, you go, hello, yeah, fantastic. I was, was going to say, Hamish, I wonder too, when you say things change, I think when you open up and show some of your um, vulnerability, you give other people permission to do the same. Yeah. And so collectively, you start having a much more authentic conversation and collectively, you know, you actually all care for each other. Um, but it's up until the point that you as a leader do that, it's hard for other people to do it. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, and, and it's a, it's, you're on a different um, journey with every mm. individual. And it's mm. just sensing and being highly tuned to where you're at with that relationship. Mm. So I think this would be a question for all of you, but I'll start with you, Saha. So, so how do you then have the tough conversations? Because I think one of the things that I've learned is, is the old type boss that's a little bit above there, probably easier when you're cold to have the hard conversations about performance, you know, about someone, you know, making sure they hit whatever they need to hit. So how do you actually find that balance it's an amazing balance and important that we have it so so i don't know if you've got any any thoughts on how you show much so much care but then you've got to have the hard conversation how do you start that um yeah again there is no recipe book but um i guess in terms of hard conversation if you are an authentic leader and you are vulnerable and your meeting starts by saying exactly what Teme said, how are you, how's your family, etc., you actually build an inherent trust. And then that trust leads to having that clarity on what you as an individual, you as a team, you as an organization are trying to achieve. With that clarity, if there is a conversation to be had, uh, whether it is about an individual performance or whether actually I, I have actually a counter case where I have staff who consistently work longer hours and we need to have a hard conversation with them to set them downside, look after your health, you need to leave now, go and spend time with the family. Actually, I don't want you to start until midday tomorrow. In fact, take a day off. 
So it, it really depends on what is that tough conversation is all about, because it's, it's not all about just ensuring that you have not done this thing and X, Y, Z is actually a tough conversation is uh, sometimes tough conversation is for me to turn up in the office feeling really down and having some personal issue, which I can't talk to uh, and, and having uh, to learn actually from you, uh, Sir JK, is just actually tapping on somebody's shoulder and saying, I just want to have a chat with you. I just want to share with you. I'm having a tough day today. Uh, and I like to just share with you. Do you just hear me out? So, so for me, the tough conversation, it, it's, it's really, you need to know the context. You, it could be about you. It could be about the task in hand. It could be about the people you really care about. And you are, you know that they, you, if you said it, they will not like it. And you just need to broach that subject with that inherent trust and relationships you have and the care you have uh, so you can actually uh, openly talk about it. Because like, like you talked about your family, I mean, I have a family around the world and COVID is spread all over it. And in one go, I'm dealing with the New Zealand team members and then the, the challenges of my family, which is I call my team as my family in Australia, then in Singapore and, and, and the country I have come from 30 years ago from Pakistan. And, and, and those are tough conversations. And it's just, it's just uh, no hard and fast rule, but I guess just, just be vulnerable, just have the time. And, and, and there is no staff member and the boss. Actually, we all are humans and we all are same and we just need to talk and we just need to ask how each one of us is feeling. And this is what bothering me and this is how we need to address it. JK, can I just add something to that very quickly? Um, I've found performance conversations have become easier, um, just picking up on Sahel's point there, um, and because of that vulnerability. But I think, look, at the end of the day, uh, as an organisation, there's certain behaviour and certain performance that's expected, that's your job. And when you're having that conversation and you're coming from a place of care, um, then it can't not go right. Um, if you're actually putting them front and centre and, and having a conversation that's coming, coming from a place of genuine concern because your behaviour or your performance is at odds with what you're employed to do. Anything to add, Dave? Yeah, I think for leaders, it's like we have to remember that the, as a couple of people have said here, we've actually seen over 17 months, the conversation is more around you need to look after yourself better and I do not expect you and neither does the company to work 12 hour days with no gaps between meetings sort of things right so i'd like to say here if there is a performance conversation for us it's the one percent not the 99 percent, right i think the danger um now for all people and leaders is to see your people um so don't judge the behavior um and it's really really important right now because um see the person not the behavior because a lot of what's going to be turning up during these times, especially during lockdown and the extended lockdown, is what's going to turn up as that person's behavior, not that person. So don't judge the person by their behavior. And that, that's really hard to do sometimes, but you have to step back. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have the conversation with that person around awareness. Are you aware that your behaviors are turning up to work? And I wonder why. 
I, I, I wonder why, because, you know, what, what's going on in your life, your home, and it's better in this phase to go on with an open mind of curiosity and maybe give them a gentle reminder that there's some behaviors turning up to work, but I'm sure I, I, there's a reason why, um, as a proposed to a performance uh, conversation. The next one for all leaders, you know, that I think is super critical is remember your diverse talent, your diversity. We all go on about hiring diversity, that we can't have innovation without diversity. And diversity comes from diversity of thought from a whole range of people like ethnic minorities, the woman in your organization, you can go on and on and on. They're also the ones during this time that typically are the ones that are the most impacted. And so their behaviors might turn up again as opposed to them. And just remember that that woman in leadership might have her children or that caregiver, because we have caregivers and leadership who then has children that are in the background that might trigger some sort of emotion and that emotion turns up to work. It's not them, it's just their situation. So if anything, we just have to remember those situations because most people that turned up to resign for us over the last 72 months were our diverse talent. And when you scrub down the go, why, what's going on? It's just like, I can't do this anymore. I thought school was gonna go back and then it delayed one more week, I, I just can't do it. And so you just, in fact, you just need to be a little bit gentler on the people and see them, not their behaviors. I think that's a really good point, um, Dave. And one of the things that I decided to do just in the last few days, and this is not a business thing, this is a personal thing. Um, I decided that I have no right to judge. So I'm going to let God or Allah or whoever you believe in judge because what we're getting pushed at us all the time is no vax, vax, people protesting, people leaving. This. There's a whole lot of things going on. And I think that's a really important point. I'm not going to judge the behavior. I'm not going to judge the person and I'm not going to judge the behavior because I don't know the situation. And that's, that's let me let some of the things wash over me. So I think that's a really, really important uh, point. Just, just a question. Uh, so I've got a few questions here. I want to roll through before we finish. This has been awesome. I could go on for hours. Um, how do you help your team make sure they keep a good work-life balance? Because I do know that, uh, you know, it's, pretty easy to jump from one zoom to another zoom but actually telling them to get that balance when they might feel obliged to do something else anybody anyone can jump in whoever feels uh i can i can have a crack jake okay first of all like i i don't think there is a work-life balance it's just life and i think people need to look at it that way and i think too many times we've been trained what's your work life balance and what's the segmentation of your exercise versus fitness versus this we get so compartmentalized that everything like no wonder it's overwhelming so i think you know my first feedback to people is live life and yes work's part of it and home's part of it but just live life and and have that feeling on where you're coming from and and I see you for who you are and your ability to be productive and, and effective and efficient in this job. So um, help me help you. A lot of the times it's the individual judging themselves more than it is us. So I'm not expecting you to work during the same hours that you've got your kids at home and you're needing to look after them. If you can you know, you move around where you have to during these periods to make your life work, and I trust you to do that. So you just need to bring that level of trust and give that permission as a, a couple of uh, colleagues on the phone, uh, the message here have said, like, give permission to, to do that. And you, you'll find, you know, um, that people can adjust themselves, but they really need that permission to adjust their own behaviors because it's not what we expect of them. 
So I'll ask you this one. In an organization, we get a lot of we've got a lot of people who are unable to work from home, construction site managers, the sites are currently closed. You can give them some extra training and plan for the work when the sites will open again. However, they are more used to active duties than non-active duties. Any good ideas on how to keep them healthy and motivated? Um, <clears throat> I, I suppose when you're dealing with a knowledge worker who have, who have uh, online access, they, uh, you can actually segregate the work which needs to be done versus potentially can be done and then you can make it work. The people who are on a construction side uh, dealing with the physical activity, it becomes possibly a bigger challenge uh, keeping them motivated. And I, I guess the only suggestion I would have is uh, uh, creating some, some kind of engagement, some kind of competition, ensuring that as I was telling you before is that uh, Keeping, uh, keeping them connected by way of having an online virtual cooking class or uh, uh, just uh, uh, perhaps the best photograph comp competition, just share some story of your pet, uh, all of that. Um, there is no one, one um, activity you can do. Uh, we, we at New Zealand Post, or I, I try lots of things. I, I, I basically virtual Friday drinks to a, uh, literally uh, having some quiz and some other competitions going on. Um, it's really hard to, um, uh, possibly I'm not the right person to answer for a construction side worker. I'm assuming they all have computers and mobile phones, then that does make them a virtual and a knowledge worker and, and they can connect and uh, uh, create some kind of uh, virtual sense of belonging. Um, to a purpose which they work for. Here's a, here's a really, thanks, Sal. Here's a really good one, Hilary, for you. Do you have any tips to identify when a person is mentally struggling? Are there any verbal or physical cues that a leader should be looking for? Um, I think the, the, the answer to that one, JK, sits again in change, well, going to change, but in a slightly different way to what you are talking about previously. I think when people are struggling in terms of their mental health is that you will see change and the change will come in a variety of different ways. Sometimes people will change their behaviors, other people might change, their mood might be a little bit lower. The person that was always the joker in the smoker room might become the person that's got a little bit quiet. So my, 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 my sense is if um, what you got to have your antenna up for and you're looking for, is there a difference here? Is there something that this person's doing that they that is different to what they would normally be doing? And then having the courage um, to go in and have that conversation and to use Dave's word there to be curious and then to use your words, JK's, to be non-judgmental in terms of, of where they are. But for me, uh, the key thing is your work as leaders is to have your antenna finely tuned to where someone who's showing difference and it could be in a variety of different ways. So it could be behavior, it could be emotion, it could be um, humor, it could be their, their, their appearance. And of course, the point with COVID and going into a virtual world is it's much more difficult to pick up those changes than when we were more face-to-face. -face. And that's really one of the key challenges for us in, the, in, in, a, in a virtual world is it's easier to disguise some of those changes um, that we would have seen around the, the cooler, water cooler or in, in the canteen or in the lunchroom or whatever. This one's a real hard one. I might throw it to you, Hamish. 
uh, when I read it, I thought it was really hard. So easy to say, don't judge the behavior. But if one person significantly is impacting the greater team, then it has to be addressed and resolved, not overlooked. I agree it's good to be pragmatic and reasonable and seek to understand why the behavior and, and determine support help is needed. But how do we, but how do we resolve that sort of um, that quickly? Yeah, um, look, I'm just I'm going to pick up on one of the cues um, points that Dave made. But I think in understanding the why, um, the answer might actually exist there. Um, but look, um, you know, you've got a greater responsibility to your company's culture to do something about it. Um, and I think. At the end of the day, um, the, if the behaviour can't be changed or addressed, um, yeah, it's look. You know, in, in the case of a um, certainly an organisation like mine, um, I'd have to do something about it. Um, but it's, that's not to say you're not going to be human um, and uh, and do it in a, an empathetic way. Um, hopefully, the answer behind that behaviour, to Dave's point, uh, um, resides in understanding why. Great can I add, sorry, Dave? Go for it. Both go. Yeah, maybe you had anything new, Dave. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good, yeah, really good topic. It's a good, it's a good point. Um, and, you know, my I wasn't suggesting not to deal with it. Um, if it's the 1%, like I said, deal with it like it's the 1%. Deal with it as it happens or as close to the event or the behaviour as it happened with everything else I, I, I said before to bring awareness to that person is we feel that this is the behavior that's being destructive and toxic and not only being curious about why, but bringing awareness. Don't, don't be mistaken that a lot of us are working in autopilot, not now, right now, not with awareness. And does that even person know? In a lot of cases, just that small, gentle confrontation of, uh, are you aware that you're doing this? And if so, this needs to stop because it is destructive. The other way I would ask is, did it come straight to you or did it come from a peer? Um, because peer-to-peer -peer is the best way to resolve this sort of thing. Typically, it would be a peer coming and just saying, I, I, I don't like or I don't agree with this person's behavior. My first response would be then, have you spoken to them about it? I can speak to them about it. But if peer-to-peer, -peer, it's like, hey, did you know you're turning up like this and this is affecting such and such or us wider? So I think those are a couple of other points that I would give on that. Hillary. Hillary. Oh, so so I, I, I tend to just go back to our duty of care. Um, and in terms of our duty of care, we've obviously got, um, if someone's behavior is impacting on other people's mental health, we've absolutely got a duty of care to deal with that behavior. But of course, the manner in which we do it can be a one that is supportive or one that is not. So um, so I think you've got two things here. You've obviously, you've got to address the behavior if it's actually impacting on somebody else's mental health, because in good health and safety language, that person has become a hazard to other people. And so we have to look at how we can support that behavior change. But at the same time, we have to be supporting the people who that person's behavior may have impacted on as well. I love that answer, Hillary, because often I talk about when I go into businesses, especially when they're in construction or something and they're wearing their hard hats and their, and their, um, you know, their high vis and their boots and stuff, but what's going on in there? And I think that's a really important point. If someone is not good for the team, then it's the same thing. You know, they're just not bringing psychological safety to people. One last question before we have to jump off, but I'd like to ask it. We have essential workers who need to work from the office. 
as their manager, how do I deal with both their anxiety of working from office and also for me, that feeling of guilt of needing to have them work on site and worrying that they might get sick. So Harlan, maybe you can answer that one because you've got some, you got a lot of those people in your business. Um, that's actually quite a difficult question. I, I would assume there is a, a, this day and age, there there is a reason that the person has to be in the office and can't work remotely. So uh, I assume there is a need. Um, and totally understand also the guilt part of that question too. Um, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I don't know there is any technique. I think you just need to um, be there for that person. Um, you are there to help uh, check on them, uh, ensure that uh, they are well supported, ensure they have uh, all the proper um, uh, gears what, what they, or protocols or whatever they need to execute their job. And perhaps there is a way that you provide that person a relief through another team member or go and join that person to show that um, you, you are in together with them. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't know. Maybe another, another panelist may have a better answer than I can offer. I wonder, I wonder if it isn't, um, again, you're, you have to be able to provide the evidence that you've done really good risk assessment and that that person is as safe as you can possibly make them in terms of being exposed to the virus um, and then wrap around some good emotional support around that person. Um, I, I, I do wonder whether um, you'd be breaking your bubble if you went in yourself. So uh, I think lots of organizations, those central workers have, have, have actually really got good about using Re redesigning the way they do the work in terms of bubbles so that you don't you're not having an interplay with people so I think that's but just some really good risk assessment as much as you can um, and yeah I don't know what else you could be doing as well I think the interesting point I don't know if, uh, just to finish for me um, guilt is one of my sharks and so for me to make peace with my guilt, I have to look at the, the facts and the facts, um, I let them um, tell me the truth because often our brain, when you're talking about guilt, will lie to us. So if the workers should be in work um, and you should be managing them from afar because that's what this world right now says, then you shouldn't feel guilty. Um, you should also, I believe, express how worried you are for them, because I think that's the human stuff that was spoken about. Um, so reach out and say, I'm worried about this here. Just please stick to the rules, because the rules uh, then let my uh, guilt shark stand down, because I know living with guilt is no fun, and often the, the brain lies to us. I don't know if any of you have got any last thoughts before we leave. Hamish, you were about to say something then, my friend. No, no, no. Look, I think... Yeah, I just, um, the word humans come up so many times today. And, you know, I think as leaders, um, we just need to be human. And, and, and can I add to it, Hamish? I think what we haven't named, but I think everyone's been referring to it, is treating people with dignity. 
you know, and really respecting them as an as a person. That's mm. from a leadership perspective. I don't think we can go far wrong if we actually acknowledge everybody deserves to be treated with dignity. Well, thank you, team. Dave, Hillary, Sahal, Hamish. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've learned heaps, and I'm sure that the people that have jumped on have done so. Um, just finally for me, I know you're all incredibly busy and, and um, you know, dealing with this crisis, but to, to give us a, an hour here at Mentimere and to help all our business people bounce ideas and, and, and learn a little bit, it's been fantastic. So I really appreciate your time and your thoughts and uh, thank you, I've learned something. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Minded. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe. This podcast is everywhere you get your podcast, so make sure you do that. <laughs> I don't need to tell you how, and then you'll get my new episode straight away. And if you can leave a review, tell everyone you know about it, it'd be awesome. If you could help spread the word about the show, thanks. But also, I'd love to get your feedback. You know, I'm new to this. I want to get better and I want to know what you want to know about mental well-being. So please reach out to us and thanks and I'll see you all soon.